Thank you. Well, it's good to have you sing again. Let me ask you, if you would, to please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Let me read for you again as we can resume our study in this portion of God's Word. Having looked at the beginning of Ephesians, having looked at the beginning of Colossians, trying to understand the context in which Paul sets these words as he speaks uh, concerning what it means for us to live out um, our oneness with Christ. He says to wives, verse 22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, as we <clears throat> come before you and look together at this portion of your word, um, we ask for the illumination of your Holy Spirit. Father, may we handle the Scripture properly. Uh, what is said here, and it is not according to your truth, Do not allow uh, the words of the one who speak to cause your people confusion. But what is said here, and it is according to the truth of your holy word, then may it be a seed planted in good soil that bears a bountiful harvest of righteousness and holiness for the sake of the glory of God, the expansion of his kingdom and the blessing of his people. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ten days ago, I visited with Andrew and Tori Smith in Walter, at Walter Reed Hospital in Washington, D.C. Now, as most of you know, in March, Andrew was seriously wounded in Afghanistan. And he and Tori have been at Walter Reed for many, many weeks. They now live in an apartment there. And following several surgeries and still facing a few more, uh, Andrew is healing and is, now he is being fitted for his prosthetics. Andrew and Tori, there's a, this is a very dangerous thing that I'm going to do here, and I hope that uh, you won't find this naive. 
but I cannot resist this. Andrew and Tori are a living illustration of the truth that good theology leads to good thinking, which leads to good living. Good theology leads to good thinking, which leads to good living. Their trust and their confidence in God's love, in His faithfulness, and in His sovereign purposes for them, their trust in all that is just clearly evident. They are determined to serve their Lord and to have Him use their circumstances to impact others with the good news that Jesus is Creator, Savior, Lord, and King. I just want you to know this. I want you to hear this. This is not for the purpose of trying to wag my finger in anybody's face or for the purpose of trying to shame anyone. This is for the purpose of trying to encourage you to know what is, what is possible out of a wholehearted commitment to Jesus Christ. There is there's no bitterness. Uh, there are no pity parties. There is just a simple uh, and yet profound faith uh, in their sovereign God and in His, His plan, His plans for their lives. And, and I must I tell you that um, as we continue this morning our, our series of sermons uh, that focus upon the family, and we have spoken repeatedly to husbands and have only just begun to speak to wives. I want you to know that Tori, Tori is an amazing woman. There were several occasions when I had the opportunity to say to Andrew, you are one blessed man. And he would say to me, I know. She is for me a precious gift from the Lord. What else could a spouse want the other spouse to say? What more could a husband want than for his wife to be able to say, you see this husband of mine? He is a precious gift from the Lord. And what more uh, could any wife want than for her husband to say about her, you see this wife of mine? She is a precious gift from the Lord. What more could we ever possibly want? Now, as we noted a couple of weeks ago in Genesis chapter 2, at the beginning prior to the fall, God declared all things good except for one thing. There was one thing God said, this is not good. You know what it was, don't you? God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And so he, God created woman and he, he brought her to the man that she might serve as his helpmate. And that is precisely the role uh, that Tori not only fills but eagerly embraces. I mean, immediately and without uh, second thought, Tori gave up her 
pursuit of a law degree to be at Andrew's side so that you might minister to his needs. That's impressive. But I want to tell you something I found even more impressive. I just want you to listen to this scenario. During my brief time with them, I listened as Tori suggested... Are you following my language here? I, 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 I watched as Tori suggested to Andrew that perhaps what they should do is take me on a tour of Walter Reed. Well, that was a good suggestion. But it was a suggestion. And it was a suggestion to which Andrew quickly agreed. And that's what we did. But I just want you to feel the subtlety of that moment. Because I think there's a divine subtlety in that moment. She suggested... Andrew had enough common sense to recognize a good idea when he heard one. And we left the apartment and we took a spin around the hospital. Now, let me tell you one more story. The evening before I arrived, Andrew prepared for Tori a fancy dinner. Showed me pictures of it. Prepared for his wife a fancy dinner. Now, that may not impress you unless you understand and remember that, that is, most of you know, that because of his injuries, Andrew can't eat any solid food by mouth. All of his nutrients he receives through tubes in his arms, which means that he prepared for Tory a delicious meal simply because he was going to delight in watching his wife enjoy a special supper. A dinner of which he couldn't have a bite. Couldn't even have a taste. I guess he could enjoy the aroma, but sometimes that's almost torture. So, Tori is fulfilling her God-given role as Andrew's helpmate, and Andrew is striving to love his wife sacrificially, even as Christ loves his church. Now, listen, I assure you that Andrew and Tori have their moments you all know that's true. I assure you they had their moments of tension and disagreement. I'm sure they were on their best behavior. I mean, after all, the pastor was there. Well, I'm, I'm sure they do. I mean, after all, he's a son of Adam and she's a daughter of Eve. But I am deliberately holding them up before you as a couple, only a few months married, facing incredible challenges. I mean, challenges that most of us can't even begin to imagine. And yet, obediently and, and, and willingly and, and, and eagerly striving to please their Lord by, by doing as, as He commands and by fulfilling their roles as, as husband and wife, roles defined by God prior to mankind's fall into sin. But I also have to wonder, I mean, not only am I sure that they have their moments, I also have to wonder if it isn't easier, just hear me out, if it isn't easier to do what God commands when faced with a crisis than when simply living life from day to day. You know what I mean? 
I mean, often. When you face a crisis, you become focused. You know, the adrenaline kicks in. I know what i got to do here. Bam, 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 bam. And you do what you're supposed to do. The crisis has focused you. But when we face the realities of living in a fallen world, day after day after day after day, following a somewhat familiar routine, married to a son of Adam, married to a daughter of Eve, we can often feel the energy drain away. We can kind of lose our focus and or actually our focus can become quite focused right here. The focus can become very much ourselves. And we begin to take for granted or just simply to forget or even at times deliberately choose to ignore what we know are the concerns and needs of our husband or of our wife. Well, we have examined from several angles the husband's God-given duty to love his wife as God loves the church. And this morning, we want to continue to consider the role that the Lord commands and enables the wife to fulfill. Now, I want you to hear those two words, because I really do believe that in our walk with the Lord, this, this, is, this is a terribly important truth. Commands and enables. You really need to remember that I, you can't find anywhere in Scripture where whatever God commands, He doesn't enable us to do. If God commands us, He enables us. So it's not like God puts out a, a bunch of impossibilities, steps back and says, okay, let's see you try and do that. Whatever He commands, He enables us to do the same Holy Spirit that brings to our minds the truth of this particular directive from the Lord is the same Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who enables us to do what the Lord commands. If you are willingly striving in His strength, you can be found obedient and pleasing to Him. By our Lord's death at Calvary, He not only rescues us from sin's curse, He also delivers us from sin's crippling power. As Paul testifies in Colossians 1.29, you are now enabled and empowered and equipped so that with all His energy that powerfully works within you, you can strive to do as the Lord commands. Strive as your Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus, is at work within you so that as Paul writes in Philippians 2, verse 13, you can, will, and do His good pleasure. Now, we, we don't believe in perfectionism. We don't believe that in this life anybody ever reaches the point where they no longer sin. But I want to tell you, we do believe the Scripture says that the people of God are a people empowered by Him and they are striving toward that goal of being more and more like Christ in all that they say and do and think and feel. Our goal is to be like Him. 
And it's not a goal that we get up in the morning and go, okay, I'm going to do this thing. We get up in the morning and we go, Lord, I, I just feel weak. I feel weary. I feel tired. I feel almost overwhelmed. And so I beg you, in your strength, may I now strive to be the man, to be the woman that you would have me to be. So I ask you, you who claim to name the name of Jesus Christ, do you know that to be a burning passion of your life? Do you know your life to burn with the passion to be like Christ? To be like your Lord and Savior in all that you say, all you do, and by God's grace, by what you think, even by what your responses to particular circumstances might be? Is that the goal? Is that what you desire? Is that what you want above all else? I assure you that you cannot read Scripture from beginning to end and not come away understanding that the God who said to the people of Israel, Be you holy because I am holy. The Jesus who said to His disciples, Be you perfect because I am perfect. Is the one who is saying to you, Be image bearers of Me. Be image bearers of Me. So often, for I'm going to get back to the sermon here in a second. So often, so often, especially here in the buckle of the Bible belt, so often salvation is purchasing that ticket to keep us out of hell so we can get into heaven. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. By God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, hell is not mine, heaven is mine. But I am born again now. Now I begin, even now, to live that life that will go on for all eternity. Even now. I begin to live that life by God's grace, by His strength. And not only do I begin to live that life, it is my passion. It's my passion. It's the objective of every day, the overriding objective of every day. Lord, today, through me, may others see You. Of course, in this fallen world, we, we struggle against the remnants of sin that stain our lives. It's not easy. And certainly not easy for wives. It's not easy for wives to do as the Lord commands because one major reason is because your husbands are not perfect. They don't do exactly what God commands them to do. And I know that some of them don't even come close to doing what God commands them to do. They're not perfect, but guess what? Neither are you. Neither are you. But if by, God, but if by grace through faith, you've embraced Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, 
Look at Ephesians 5.22. This is what Paul says. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, I think it's very helpful just to take a quick moment and turn over two books to Colossians chapter 3 and look at verse 18. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, where Paul gives us a much more succinct account of these uh, the same instructions, but in Colossians 3.18, this is what we read. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. I think that's, that's what you need to understand here. When Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, those words are not meant to suggest that your husband is on an equal footing with God. He's not. <laughs> as you well know. Only Jesus is Lord, and it is Jesus, your Lord, who instructs you to submit to your husband because in submitting to your husband, you are submitting to him. It's Jesus who says to us, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. It is his command that wives submit to their husbands. They do so out of a loving, willing, obedient submission to their Lord, And they strive in his strength to submit to the headship of their husband, which is not always an easy thing to do. What what does such submission look like? Well, in part, I mean, in part, of course, it. uh, and and I always hesitate at this point. Why do I hesitate? Because it doesn't matter what I say up here. Somebody out there is going to come to me and say, well, let me tell you about my situation. Well, of course, your situation's different. Of course, your situation's unique. Of course, there are things about your situation that, that can't be lined up with anybody else's situation. I can't list all of those things. I can tell you what I know is principially true, and I'll be more than happy to talk to you about your particular circumstances. But these things which are principially true are true. They're true. All times, all places, all circumstances. So just listen to me for a moment. Just listen to me for a moment. What does does submission look like? Well, it looks like respecting and cooperating with your husband as he strives to fulfill his responsibilities as the head of your home. It, It means doing so without grumbling or complaining. It means eagerly striving to use your gifts and your talents to to serve your husband out of obedient service to your Lord. It it means that you know in doing so, that that in honoring your Lord, that you are assuring yourself and your children and your family of his blessing. And it means doing so even when he is selfish and unpleasant. Because... If it doesn't mean doing these things when he is selfish and unpleasant, then most of you are off the hook most of the time. You know, let, you know, let, let, let's be true. Well, let's tell the truth here. It means doing so even when he is selfish and unpleasant. Clearly, it may be easier to serve your husband if his sinful shortcomings are a consequence of an illness or an injury. Uh, it becomes far more difficult to respect and submit to him when his sinful shortcomings are, are, are tied to a, a pattern of behavior that is, that is inexcusable, inexcusable and, and, and clearly uh, just absolutely obnoxious. 
I find this to be an interesting passage. Just listen. You don't need to turn here. But Ken Sandy and his man I keep referring to, S-A-N-D-E, I recommend to you his writings on marriage. Ken Sandy points to this passage in Matthew 23. In, Matt, in the opening verses of Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking to the crowds. He's speaking to his disciples. And he tells them the most extraordinary thing. He tells them that they are to submit to their religious leaders even though they fail, those religious leaders fail to practice what they preach. That's an extraordinary passage. I mean, if I'm a disciple, I'm sorry, I'm standing there going, hey, aren't these the guys you were just ripping on? Aren't these the guys you've been criticizing? Aren't these the guys against whom you have spoken a series of woes? Aren't these the individuals that you've called hypocrites? And Jesus says, because they sit in Moses' seat, you will submit to their teachings. You will submit to their teachings. Wow. I mean, that just leaves my head spinning. Now, and I'm sure if you're a wife, you're sitting here going, oh my word, what does that mean? You know, I'm not naive. I know some of you are married to difficult men. Linda certainly is. But if Jesus is your Lord, you're going to do as He commands. Even as the disciples were to do what He commanded, what He commanded them to do in relationship to religious leaders with whom Jesus had a great deal of, had a great deal of problems. Now, let me, hear, let me be very clear here, and I want you to hear this. Please hear me now. Wives, you are always to serve your Lord first. The very disciples to whom Jesus said you should obey the teachings of your religious leaders, in Acts chapters 4 and 5, they stand before those religious leaders. And those religious leaders say to Peter and John particularly, those religious leaders say to Peter and John, you will no longer preach in the name of Jesus. John looks at Peter, Peter looks at John, they look at the religious leaders, and they say, well, we have to tell you, got to be honest here, you know, we have got to obey God rather than men. That's not happening. You can't ask us to do what is sinful. You can't ask us to do what in our hearts, in our consciences, is contrary to what we know the Lord would have us to do. God does not expect any wife to submit to her husband's insistence that she does something that the wife is persuaded is sinful and displeasing to her Lord. Is that tricky? Yeah, that can get tricky. But is that true? That's absolutely true. But <laughs> let's take one more step back. Because the truth is, is it not? The truth is that in most of our homes, the issue is not one of sin. The, one is not, the, the issue is not one of theological clarity. Now, the issue, in most of our homes, that's not the case. In most of our homes, it's a matter of wives and husbands' ideas or opinions clashing. 
They don't, they don't have the same idea. They don't, they don't have the same opinion. And clearly, the wife has both the right and responsibility to share her thoughts and ideas with her husband. Just as clearly, the, the husband has the responsibility and the need and hopefully the, the, the integrity to hear what his wife has to say, what his helpmate has to say. She is his helpmate. She is there to help. That doesn't mean simply to physically slave for you. It means that she's there at times to tell you things that you need to hear, that you need to listen to, that you need to heed. Husband who won't listen to his wife's ideas and opinions is a fool. Is that clear enough? The husband who will not listen to his wife's ideas and opinions is a fool. She's your helpmate. One way she fulfills that God-given responsibility is by sharing with you her thoughts and her ideas. You know, I, I know some men who are so arrogant, they don't want to hear what the woman has to say. I'm the head of the... You're an idiot. You're just simply an idiot. And you're going, preacher, you shouldn't teach that. You shouldn't talk that way. Read your Bibles. That's idiotic. It's the height of foolishness. Now, obviously, the wife, you know, the wife's advice or her opinion, it may be wiser than the husband's. If that's the case, then the husband should be thankful for her wisdom and heed her advice. The husband's wife, uh, the husband's advice makes better sense than the wife should embrace it wholeheartedly and that they simply can't agree. And it's not an obvious matter of this is right, this is wrong. Then the husband's decision has to be heeded. Husband's decision has to be followed. He's the head of the house. That's one of the things that it means. And I've, you know, I'm not going to go through this whole story again, but I've told you, I've been married 44 years. That point has been reached in our home, I would say, not more than, not more than two or three times. Not more, you know, not more than two or three times where we simply sit there on the opposite end of the table and I'm going black and she's going white and I'm going it's black and she's going it's white. You know, it, we just haven't been there. It just doesn't happen. Why? Because I'm just a sweet, tender-hearted guy. Now, why did you find that funny? Okay. That's enough, Ernie. Okay. You know what I'm saying. And think about that, wives. Think about that. And go talk to my wife. That's why she leads a mother's encouragement group. She's been married to me for 44 years. Think of what that's meant for her at times. And I hold her up before you. as a Proverbs 31 example. Without a moment's hesitation. Now, let me, let me just end with this. Never any excuse, never any excuse, never any justification for either the wife or the husband to speak abusively 
to each other. Now, you all know, and I'm not going to refer to these verses. Most of you who know your Bibles, you know that Proverbs has specific verses that addresses the issue of a nagging wife. It has something to do with a dripping faucet. And we all go, see, see, see. But husband, remember, the rest of Proverbs is addressed to you. There may be specific verses that address the wife, but in general, the book of Proverbs is being spoken to the one who has responsibility here. You know, there's a general application of Proverbs to both men and women, but there's a very specific focus, I believe, which is why you suddenly find these individual passages that address the wife, because most of the rest of it is being spoken, at least the primary audience, is the man. There's never any justification for the husband to abuse his wife, be it physically, emotionally, or verbally. And again, you know, the illustrations that could go on forever here. If the husband should prove abusive, wife, hear me. You think your husband's being abusive? You should report it to the church. And if necessary, report it to the civil authorities. I would hope you'd begin with the church. But you have no reason to allow yourself to be abused. And somebody out there wants to say to me, define abuse. I can't define abuse. As a matter of fact, the... um, the PCA position paper on marriage, divorce, and remarriage gives to the session the responsibility to make that call, to determine what is abuse and what is not abuse. The two biblical grounds for divorce are adultery and desertion, and the PCA position paper clearly teaches that desertion includes more than just a man or a woman physically leaving the house. You can desert your spouse and still be present. And all of you want the details on that? I can't give you the details on that. Why? Because it is different with every circumstance. That's why. And that's a burden carried by the elders of this church. And it is one of the most sober and consuming responsibilities, unfortunately, in this day and age, it is one of the most uh, consuming and, and overwhelming responsibilities that your session has to carry. Now, I want to do one more thing and we'll be done. I want you to remember why Paul is writing Ephesians. I want you to remember the context in which all of these instructions come. I think it's absolutely critical. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Look at Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 16. Paul is writing to the churches at Ephesus, churches that are both Jew and Gentile, churches made up of Jewish and Gentile believers. And I've tried to help you understand this before, but let me just take a moment here. You cannot imagine a more divisive situation than trying to put Jews and Gentiles together into the same church. I mean, you can, you know, we can, as as 
you know, looking around the vast majority of us here this morning as white Southerners, we can talk about, you know, the difficulty of, uh, of 50 or 30 or 20 years ago of trying to, to integrate some of our churches. It's nothing. That issue is nothing compared to the tensions that existed between Jews and Gentiles. Despised, hated, could not look down upon another group of people more than Jews look down upon Greeks or Greeks look down upon Jews. And what's Paul write? This is what he writes. Look at if, I want you to hear this because this is the context in which this whole discussion about husbands and wives comes. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verses 13 and 16, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, speaking there primarily about Gentile believers, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. And He has made us both one. And he has broke. Is there any reason? Is any? You see, you understand why Paul now at the end of Ephesians five will say, "And I'm talking to you about Christ in the church," when he's talking about the one fleshness of husband and wife, because he's he's writing out of this context. He himself is our peace. He has made us both one. He has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, and He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Understand? So what you understand? We're one. We're one. We're being at the peace. There's supposed to be unity here. So what's he right? Look at one last passage. Look at Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32. So this is what he says to us. This is what he says to this new church, this new oneness, this new one body. And remember... When he starts to talk about husbands and wives in Ephesians 5:22 and following, he gets to the end of that discussion and he says, and of course I'm talking to you about Christ and the church. You know, the oneness of Christ and His church, the oneness within that church, the oneness of my people, it's, it's to be reflected here in the one fleshness of a husband and of a wife. And this is what he writes. Here's good advice. I want to pin this to your, put a magnet on your refrigerator with this verse attached. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted. You Jew, you Gentile. You husband, you wife. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And therefore, as his people, 
Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another. So likewise, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Why? That you might know His blessing. That we might know and experience that blessing poured out upon you. That the church of Jesus Christ might know that blessing. That the community, that the world, it spreads exactly like that. We live in the midst of a culture. Aren't you, aren't you disturbed anymore? When you go into a public place like a mall or something and, and, and you watch how people's children are completely out of control or uh, there's no respect and uh, there, so much of that is, you know, it's just down the tube and it's gone and it's lacking. Doesn't that scare you to death? Well, it should, but let me tell you something. We, by God's grace, we are this world's hope. We are not to despair. We are to look around and say, we can be the light of the world. We can be the salt that retards the spoilage. Because God is at work in us so that we might both will and do His good pleasure. Is it easy? Of course it's not easy. That's why with Paul we must strive with all his strength. All His strength that is at work within us to do His will and to do His good pleasure. I promise you, we find ourselves in obedience to our Lord. We'll have ample opportunities to answer people's question, what is with you? What, is, what gives about you? Why is your family the way it is? Meaning in a positive sense. It's an amazing time. An amazing opportunity. It's an amazing Lord. It's an amazing truth. We are not left in the darkness. We have the light. Let's walk in that light. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the teaching of Your Word. Thank You, Lord for Your goodness and for Your grace and for Your mercy. Now prepare us, Father, to be Your people. May it be obvious to all that You are our Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.